From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me once again from the lake, the man himself, Roger Mitchell. Hi, matey. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Grant? Uh, um, uh, I don't know where you are in the world, but um, you sound good. Yeah, no, I'm good. The sun's shining, the birds are chirping, uh, full of my six on the table, Rog. I mean, you know, what, what more could a man want? Remember I said to you at the start of the season when you got that opening draw with Liverpool? I said yeah. you could have taken them. Yeah, listen, you, you did, and and I, I promise you, as this is a goal alone goal, after what happened on Saturday, on Saturday, you better believe that Fulham's going to get discussed in this conversation. Right? Okay. But, well, we'll um, leave that. We'll leave that a little bit. But, but yeah, yeah. well, let, let's park that. I, I'd, I'd like to. I'll, I'll build up to that. But what have, what have you got for me? By the in the ways of goals alone. Well, goals? I've got a very quick opening goal. It's not going to take a lot of time, but it, it, I want to tap in. This is a tap in. Um, Lee Wood, the boxer, and his corner. Uh, when he was knocked down, threw in the towel. Threw in the towel and saved him as, you know, he stood up for the count. He was wobbling at eight and nine on the count. The referee was about to let him get whacked again. And his corner threw in the towel. Uh, Now, I think that is one of the most underrated, glorious things in sport. The, The corner, who have got every personal incentive to let their guy get hammered, because, you know, what have they got to lose? Um, they say, no, we're going to save you from yourself. I just think that's the goal. No more, no less. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, I didn't see it, but uh, I read about it. And it is, it, I mean, it happens so rarely, Roger, you know? So rarely. So rarely. Every, everybody's baying for the fight to continue. Um, you know, not since, uh, not since Apollo Creed have we seen a towel thrown in. I don't think, I don't remember. I don't well, there was Frank Bruno. There was Frank Bruno when he fought right. Tyson. Now, um, I right. can't remember the manager's name. It, there was one time we all knew Frank Bruno's manager's name, but it's escaped me. But I do remember... Frank Warren, right? Frank Warren. No, 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 no the actual corner guy. Um, oh, the corner, not the manager. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. Uh, his name escapes me. Make Didn't him... he have Emmanuel Stewart? Didn't he have no. Ali's old trainer? No, 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 no. It's an English know. guy, an English guy. I can see his face as I'm thinking about him. The name escapes me. But the point is when... You know, I think he really did look after Bruno and when um, he was in that corner and Tyson was starting to really lay into him and got him with that uppercut, he actually ran round the ring to try and throw the towel in. And if you note, there's somebody from the crowd that actually tries to get the towel so he can't throw it in because, you know, bloodthirsty and one, you know. So um, this guy, uh, Lee Wood's trainer, got a little bit of criticism in the media. You should have let him go. Your fighter wanted to continue. But um, so I always like to see that, you know, always got to err on the side of prudence on that kind of thing and good for them, very good for them. Yeah, yeah, okay, excellent. Well, listen, I'll, I'm going to start with a goal that has own goals wrapped inside it. Uh, As they all do. Plenty, and I, and, I, and I dare say we'll have plenty to talk about here because I know you've, you've seen this too and that's uh, Full Swing, the Netflix documentary series yes, about the I've PGA Tour. Yes, I've seen all of them. Made by the the same guys who've made Drive to Survive, and we've kind of waxed lyrical on how good Drive to Survive has been. Um, 
you know, I watched Full Swing. I kind of binged it at my so usual insomnia hours at yeah. four in the morning. Um, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it as a golfer. I don't know that I think it will bring new people to the sport the way Drive to Survive did to Formula One. I'm not sure about that. Um, but there was so much in there to to talk about, Rog. Uh, so Fire many goals. That, that for Fire me, away. Joel Darman. That was mine. Joel Darman that was... was mine. <laughs> By a mile, fabulous. <laughs> and and look, and I and I knew I, I knew of his personality. I've seen him on social media. I've seen him in interviews, and you knew that he was just a good guy. And our mutual friend Eddie Pepperell has also said that you know Joel is a is a is a is he a really good guy. Reminds me of Eddie. Actually, reminds me of Eddie a little bit. Yeah, I, I I thought you might make that comparison, but I just thought you know to to see a guy like that, all the talent in the world, um, you know, clearly one of the best golfers in the world, but he's he's just missing that belief. Um, that that the people around him have, you know, his caddy. I thought their relationship yeah. was just yeah. fantastic. You yeah. know, the caddy, and you know, they've been mates since they were kids. Um, it was just a real feel good episode with with the two the folks on the two of those guys. And you know, I know Darman led the U.S. Open, and and Netflix got so lucky with the cameras they had embedded last year. They had all yeah. the right people, right? They yeah. really did. Yeah. Um, so to be able to see that and to see his belief rise and to see him. Just played phenomenal golf, um, uh, and, and and to see the background to it and the, and the story behind it, I thought it was just just absolutely fantastic. Well, yeah, let's stay on him for a second because that was the one that's that that, that shone out for me of all the episodes, the one that would um, really get a crossover audience, if you will. Um, he this thing about you know his lack of belief. I love this thing he calls himself um, imposter syndrome. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. believe it. And, and and I always find that fascinating. I think it's more common than than people think. And um, it's a big thing, Grant. It is a big thing. Oh, I know. You know, like one of the things I find very difficult, certainly in sport, but also more general in life, is that you need that wee bit of arrogance to actually get to that very, very top level. You know, it is, it is about um, uh, belief in yourself. And I know the old thing about, well, you know, nice guys and it's more important. And th- that was, you know, that was true with Tony Finau episode as well. You know, the whole nice guy. Yep. You know, <laughs> at some point you've got to be a bit of a, a so-and-so. And, you know, um, I love that guy. I I, I think uh, the caddy's the best thing going for him. Um I enjoyed at the start how he was, his knuckles were wrapped by the PGA for taking his shirt off. His shirt off and Phoenix, you know, like yeah. They yeah. wouldn't know a fucking asset if it kicked them up the arse. They, they have no idea the sport they're running, Grant. And I'm sure we can maybe talk about that in, more in general with the, the series because there was a lot of themes that came out. But, you know, Joel Damon has now got an extra fan at, at me and I absolutely loved that episode. Well, it's funny you mentioned arrogance, and that and that brings me to one of the own goals, and that was Brooks Kepka. Um, you know, when you watch the episode where Brooks was featured heavily, and I think Brooks is a tremendous golfer, and I've always, from the outside in, admired his kind of steeliness and his attitude and his grit and stuff. But when I watched that episode, Rog, um, you know, on the one hand, you've got this guy talking about I'm the ultimate competitor. I just want to step on everybody's neck. And he's, you know, he was really pissed off when he didn't play well and really pissed off when he didn't make cuts and pissed off he didn't win. And you could see that the competition really drives him. So to have him sit there 
and talk about how important all that stuff is to him at the same time that he takes the live money and goes and plays on a glorified um, exhibition tour, I found to be so disingenuous. Because if you, if you did really care about the competition and you really cared about beating the best golfers in the world, I'm sorry, you don't take the live money. And, of course, he did the whole, well, I want to make sure my kids and my kids' kids are okay for money. And do me a favour, your kids and your kids' kids are already okay for money. You've won four majors in two years. You've got all the endorsement contracts you could ever want. You know, you can write your own checks for just about anything you like. Um, and, you know, we know there's appearance money getting paid and he would guarantee to be getting chunks of it if he wanted to to get appearance money. So I just felt, I found that left a hugely bad taste in my mouth, Roger. And as, and, and as Darwin's got new fans, I think Kepka will lose a lot of fans. Yeah, I, over, I think this over is this a great one. point. Uh, why do you think he's found a way to reconcile those two contradictory points? What what went on in his head? How has he got to that decision? To- I, yeah, exactly. I, I, as I was watching it, I, I just I just it didn't make any sense to me, Roger. It just one of, one of the two things can't be true, right? Because the two don't. They don't reconcile. If you genuinely are the competitor you say you are and you, all you care about is winning and winning majors, as he said, I want to win majors and I don't care about the other tournaments, blah, blah, blah. What are you doing? What, what on earth are you doing taking that money to go to live? Because yeah. even if mm. the live tour grows into something, you, you, right now you're going to try and beat 48 golfers, six of which are any good and 42 of which are nobodies, is that really what gets your competitive fire going? Absolute nonsense. It's all about the money. And, and look, and when you when you see the life he's built and his wife and, you know, when you see well, all see, that that was stuff, going to be my answer. You, you know I'm very humanist about, I believe that everything that, that happens in life is about human behaviour. And, and if you can read the human, maybe this is a function of the country I live in, which is totally dominated by this stuff. If you can read the human, you can see how things will go. Two things I noted about Brooks Kepka. Brooks Kepka is a good-looking guy, right? He's a good-looking guy. Why is he dyeing his hair peroxide blonde? You know, that's that's the first thing that gives me a big question mark. Uh, I might sound silly, but for me, it's not. The second thing is the wife. You know, I'm afraid she's not the kind of person that is going to say to him what you've just said in the correct way that a good partner does. And this happened both ways, eh? Man and woman, not just one way. This this is both, it's a, it's a partnership. She should be saying to him exactly what you've said there. Look, you know, this isn't consistent, but you know, she's lounging on beside the pool, you know, in her personal trainer body that she, she works out every day on. And, you know, I just think that's your answer, man. He has not got the right people. Did you see a friend in any of that documentary of ever see a friend? He's on his own, man. He's not getting good advice. Well, you, you know, you contrast that with the ultimate competitor in golf, Tiger Woods. Um, and here's a guy who's 47. Uh, he's got a shattered leg. He's got a fused back. He's, you know, he's... he's, he's Best days, he, he will know that his best days are long behind him. You know, he won in Augusta in 2019, which is Phenomenal. arguably one of the greatest event uh, triumphs in all of sport. Um, and yeah, he's offered seven, eight hundred million dollars to be a part of this tour. And yes, Tiger Woods has got all the money in the world, right? He doesn't need the money. But he's like, no, there's no chance I'm going to go and take that money and go and play on the live tour. I'm going to double down on the PGA tour. I'm going to, I'm going to become, you know, with Rory, the face of the response to it. I'm going to drive a response from the PGA tour. 
all he cares about is winning golf tournaments, winning majors, you know, and, yeah. and the competition. And, and yes, I, look, you can say, fine, when you've got that kind of money, you don't have to worry about it anymore. But that speaks much more to the to the Thomas Peters who's just gone this week or the Mito Pereiras. And again, that was disappointing to see Mito Pereira Mito's go. Mito's gone. He's going to live. He went this week. Yeah, he's got. I was Mito going to Pereira's mention gone. him in a minute. Carl, yeah, well, we can talk about him in a minute. Carlos Munoz, Nunez has gone and Thomas Peters has gone this week. Now, these are guys who aren't going to get Brooks Kepka type of sponsorship money. They're probably not going to win four majors in two years. So you can argue from their point of view that the money is important and it is important to secure your future, et cetera. You can argue that. And none of those guys have come out and, you know, told everyone who'll listen to them how the competition is the only thing that counts and they want to win everything they can and they only want to win the majors. Um, it just doesn't jive for me. And, you know, I was a, I was a, a reluctant fan of Brooks Kepka just because of his talent um, and his drive. But watching that, you know, I'm, I mean, not that it matters to him at all. <laughs> but, yeah. but I'm done rooting for him. I'm done caring about him, to be honest with you, Rog. Yeah. Um, surprised about this guy, Mito Pereira. Um, that was a good episode, I thought, of the, the series. Um, <laughs> to choke like that, you don't see that that often. But to absolutely choke on the last the last hole, none of us mortals know the kind of pressure you're under uh, as a rookie, never having won anything, and you're going to win a major. It's I, I don't yeah. think we can conceive the pressure, Grant. It, it, what happened to Mito Pereira should happen more often, and these superhumans managed to control it. But he didn't, and he just swung like well, it, you, it doesn't happen. Like it I doesn't would. happen more often, Rog. It doesn't happen more often because the Mito Perez world don't normally get to the last tier of a major with the lead. You know, they they they, they like Joel Darman did, right? They're leading after the second or third round yeah. and then the pressure gets to them yes. and they don't make it to that final tee. So that's why it doesn't happen often. But, you you know, it, it, the the choke was so immediate because it was on the very last hole. But those those chokes happen all the time with these kind of guys you haven't heard of who are leading after the third round. You know, Richard Bland, right, was leading the US Open. Um you know, journeyman from the European Tour who won his first event after, you know, yeah. 20 years on yeah. tour in the English Open a couple of years ago. And he just faded away because it, it's 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 not that he doesn't have it, it's that he hasn't had a chance to kind of find it yet. And, and I'm sure all these guys, if Mito Pereira was in the lead again in that situation, he wouldn't have the same nerves because he's been there before, he's done it, and he understands what he did wrong the last time, right? That's how these guys have gotten to be the top 50 players in the world. Yeah. I, I thought the whole series was very good. Um, I, I hear what you're saying that, you know, I think we're getting a little fatigued by these things now. The novelty's wearing off a little bit. I thought this one, at least it struck me a much better than the tennis one did. But I think there's a reason. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think there's a reason for that, Grant, because we play golf and most people still play golf, whereas we can't play tennis. So we've got an element of connection, you know, that, that helps us along. Um, there was there, there was some episodes that thought I dragged a wee bit, but but not many. The Matt Fitzpatrick one. What did you think of him? I, look, I I think I think it was great. I loved what he did. I I, I love his personality. He's obviously fifty percent nerd and fifty percent regular guy, right? You could tell. He's got yeah. a sense of humour there. He's self deprecating, but again, incredibly driven, incredibly process oriented. Um, and again, you know. There's there's your example, Roger. Here's a guy who comes to the last hole of, of arguably the toughest major of them all, drives a tee shot in the bunker, has to make par, and hits yeah. one of the greatest shots yeah. to win a major of all time out of that bunker. Yeah. And 
you know, you could see he's just he's just a, a small kid from Sheffield. Um, he doesn't have the size and the strength. Or you see him walking next to DJ in that yeah, yeah. edition. He, you know, he's literally he's like shoulder height with DJ. I, I loved it. But I thought it was fantastic. It was a good episode. We might cut this bit out because might, might, some people might misunderstand it, but you know me, Grant. I'm watching the Mark Fitzpatrick thing, right? And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. And there's one scene that all of a sudden something flashes into my head. And the question is, um, is Mark Fitzpatrick gay? And for some reason, that is what came into my head. Uh, so, you know, what do you do these days when you've got this kind of um, this this kind of thought? You Google it, right? You Google it. And, of course, the internet gives you everything. So an article from about 15 days ago, it's not as if it's old. Um, okay, the publication is not a well-known masthead. The San Diego Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender News.com. Uh, here's how here's how the article starts. I was pleased at this point because my kind of like intuition was already justified. I could have like not even read the article and felt that I was some kind of like uh, uh, guru. The question of, of of whether or not professional golfer Matt Fitzpatrick is gay has been a source of speculation for many years. I didn't know that. Did you know that? Um, Whilst there has never been any definitive statement from Fitzpatrick himself, you don't say, his public image and behaviour suggest that he is not a member of the LGBTQ plus community. In this article, we will analyse the evidence and explore the possible reasons why Fitzpatrick has never publicly acknowledged his sexuality. We will examine the various rumours and look at his interactions with others to determine if there's any truth to the claims that he is gay. Finally, we will explore the potential implications of such a de declaration, if ever it were made. Now, I thought, um, what a world we live. I mean, I don't give a flying fuck either way. You know, I thought... Like, he, who cares? Who cares? Right? I mean, look, I love the way, he, like you say, he did that. And at the end, he kind of like showed all his emotions with his mates and rather than, you know... But I mean, um, it did strike me. And, and that caught, that's a bad, maybe I'm a bad guy, but, you know, that's how my brain works. You know, like I saw a human thing. I know exactly the scene, Grant, where I thought, I think he's gay. It's like where he opens the door to the journalist. He's, you know, the guy he was at college with in his house and he, and he just lets ben him Rampo. in. I just thought, that's bizarre. There's no reason for that. You know, it's like six cents or something. But anyway, the San Diego lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender news says he isn't. So, Matt, I apologise. You're a great golfer. And uh, what you should do is start dating Paige Spierniak or whatever she's called and get those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers you've got just now. Get those numbers up and we're away, mate. You can be a world-class personality. Anyway, <laughs> it was a good series. Oh, Rod, God bless you. God bless you. Yeah, no, who gives a monkeys? But what else was it in, the, in that series that, that caught your eye? Because there, there was so much to talk about, I thought. Well, what caught my eye was the, the Rory episode where, um, you know, he's making this whole thing about trying to, you know, come up with the PGA for a, a way forward. And, you know, what's his name? Jay Monaghan has a press conference and then immediately you cut to Rory saying, well, um, he said we were mandated to play another four events and the guys were surprised at that and he shouldn't have said that. Um, you know my view on this, Jay Monaghan and that organisation 
have been sleepy, complacent. Uh, they had all of this coming to them. They came up with a dreadful excuse that it was all awful Saudi money. If you were going to, we've said this before, if you're going to attack Liv, you don't attack it on the source of its money because Saudi money isn't exclusive to golf. It's everywhere. Um, you attack it on what you said before, legacy. You know, you want to compete with the best uh, rather than a, 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 an exhibition. That's what you did. Jim Monaghan, I think, has been, in my view, shocking as a leader all the way through. And even when he gets the big lads, Woods, and uh, McElroy to actually, you know, stand shoulder to shoulder with him, he still can't pull it off. And this documentary shows that he's, you know, like, that's what struck me, Grant. You know, the thing about uh, Joel at the start, they give him a fine for taking his shirt off. This thing needs a breath of fresh air and it needs to come from the very top. The sooner that guy goes and in the same in the European tours, then the sooner Gov's got a chance to actually have a future. Well, we'll see. It was um, <clears throat> interesting. You know, it's interesting listening to our, our friend Giles interview Padraig Harrington uh, on the podcast last week, which for anyone listening to this that hasn't heard that, do 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 track it down and listen to it. Padraig was absolutely phenomenal. Giles did a great job interviewing him. But you know, to hear Padraig talk about how he expects the Ryder Cup to ultimately become the PGA Tour versus the Live Tour was very, very interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, that was the line. That was the line. It was a great. It was a great show. That I must admit, it was good. But you know, the series. I think they can be pretty pleased in Netflix with that series. There was something for everybody. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. And you know, the the future of golf is very interesting. You know, with this new thing that they're, they're going to do with the top stars, uh, something as you called it last week, live light. Um, I, th- I think golf's got a real chance because, as I said to you earlier, there's just a lot of us they still actually are playing the game. And that is going to, I think that's going to give it a connection that, for example, tennis and maybe even rugby um, will struggle to maintain against the the, the the onslaught of new formats and new audiences. Um, I think golf's probably got a decent chance. All right. Well, it remains to be seen what happens next. So um, what else have you, you got You go next. No, it's your turn. Not was it? Was it my I just turn? did. I just did. I just did. Right, so I just did, did the golf. Right, okay, let's do the rugby one then. Let's do the rugby one, which is uh, obviously the potential strike of the um, the, the Welsh players. I think it's against England yeah, coming this, up. Is this goal or an own goal? I wonder. <laughs> this is an own goal, definitely an own goal. Um, and are you familiar with the phrase NPCs, Grant? You're not a gamer. Do you know that phrase? NPCs? Yeah. Mm, I, I, I've heard it. I can't, I can't remember what it's It's non-playing characters. If you're in a game, it's these people that yeah. are not really active, but they've maybe got one role in life that you run into them and they say, you have to take the stairs to get the treasure, whatever the gamers do, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. And then they kind of move around silly, you know, like their role in life has finished. Right, and this, over the years, else. we've had a few of those in the Fulham team. Well, but see, this is this is this was the link I was going to make. The W, what's they called? W-R-U-R-N-P-C's, you know, and... It's all coming home to roost now. For those that don't know, there is a threat and strike uh, from the Welsh players because they're not getting paid. And like in any strike, to try and get your head around who's in the right and who's in the wrong, 
uh, you have to try and understand who pays whom and who promised what and who's reneged on that. And the thing is, in rugby, that takes you into all the weaknesses of the sport, man. So um, I, have you followed this story so I know where to start? Have I you haven't. Know? No, I haven't. Right, okay. So what's the best way to come into this? A lot of people that, that listen will know what I'm going to say here. The sport of rugby is the best example we have in our industry of how to fuck things up as a sport. And what we're seeing now, which from, is... Wait, from which perspective, Raj? From the administrative or from the money coming into it? Well, it's all, it's all linked, isn't it? But we'll get okay. into that in a minute because here it is absolutely linked. The question being, um, in its very basic form, what happened to the CVC money? Normally, when you get a lot of money coming into an organisation, normally, for at least a period of time, there's enough to go around. So why on God's green earth are the Welsh elite rugby players threatening the unheard of thing of not turning out against England? I think it's at Cardiff Arms Park. Can you believe that? You've got a situation where they're walking out on sponsors' lunches. Formal things that are arranged for sponsors that I read somewhere that they, they in the middle of the meal, they just walked out in protest. They have refused coming back to Netflix. You know, there's a Netflix talk going on about the Six Nations just now. They've refused to take part in that. You know, so they must be very, very angry. And, uh, you know, they, obviously it's a big, big news story. And Gatlin, which is the Wales coach, he's saying the players shouldn't do it. He's now been called a scab. You know, we're back into your favourite line of 1970s unionism, mm -hmm. you know. Yes, we are. You know, you, already, you said this was going to happen. But what, 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 what I'd like to try and help people see through this is my reading of this. I'm not a rugby guy, right? I mean, it's a shame Giles isn't here, but I'm not a rugby guy, but I know enough to know what's going on here. Point number one, all these governing bodies at the federation level, I'm talking about Welsh Rugby Union, English Rugby Union, Scottish Rugby Union, they are hopeless. Uh, they are totally hopeless. And even if they aren't hopeless, they don't have the ability to do the right thing because their constitution is dominated by the amateur clubs. You know, the glorious tradition of the game, people who will vote for the thing because they don't really have any interest. The amateur clubs aren't a business by definition. But these, all these organisations, this is the thing that always has got me. They make their money out of exploiting the employees of somebody else. In this case, the clubs or often the clubs. So what you've got here and what you're seeing here now is the absolute shambles and lack of alignment between the Welsh Rugby Union, the regions, which is four regions in, in Welsh Rugby, uh, and the players. Because nobody knows who's paying whom and where the money's come from. The WRU got a lot of money from CVC that in theory, this is always the case, in theory should go for the greater good of the game and investing in the game and should trickle down. It doesn't trickle down. It stays for stupid things at the top level. I, I won't go into the detail there. But, you know, these organisations, in my opinion, I said this about the IOC, these organisations are really hurting their sport. Let's take the example of rugby. Rugby is dominated by the international game. Its money comes from the international game. In uh, finance terms, Grant, I would say this, international rugby is crowding out the club game. 
many players are going through the motions for their clubs at half speed so they don't get injured so they can play in the international game. And you've got people investing at the club game level or trying to invest, trying to save Wasps, Worcester, everything like this, and they come up against the most awful governance at the the top end of the game uh, that is dominated by the internationals. And, you know... It's tragic. And, you know, everybody talks about this and then they kind of like brush it off and they go to Twickenham and they have a drink and they end up, as Sir Clive Woodward says, you know, drunk instead of watching the game because the international game is everything. And they kind of laugh it off. But then you get this. This is a strike. I think the next 72 hours of this story, this is, we're recording this on a Monday. By the time this goes out, we will know what's happened here. And it's existential. It's existential for the game of rugby. I think the game of rugby is there. It is a great game. I've said this many times. At the club level, if it's empowered, you start actually making clubs have a structure that allows uh, entrepreneurs and investors to make a return. Then I think it's got a great future. I think it's got a future that could be similar to the NFL. I won't go into areas about closed leagues or not closed leagues. But what I'm saying is high impact, high collision, it's, it's got everything you need to make it uh, high scoring, fast. It's got everything you need. And I'm telling you, it's being utterly dragged down the plug by these rugby unions. One last point, Grant, then I'll ask you a comment. These rugby unions, and I heard this firsthand 20 years ago, I nearly took the CEO job at the SRU, Scottish Rugby. Their biggest worry was how they were going to pay for the stadium, Murrayfield, that they had built, um, stupidly. Uh, and, and that was the same for Hamden in Scotland. And, and in many ways, I'm sure it's the same for Wembley. The National Stadium is the greatest and most ridiculous waste of capital that you can ever come up against, in my opinion, in sport. And our WRU think they're running a stadium business. You know, they're not. They should be in charge of running a sport that's dying on its feet. This is the same in England as well, you know. And, you know, this is the biggest own goal and the best example our industry has got about what happens if you think you just need to continue. Same old, same old. Let the amateurs run it. Let the the traditions of the game be uh, sacred cows that can't be touched. You end up with people striking on an occasion like Cardiff Arms Park against England. And it's tragic, Grant. Forgive the rant. This is not my sport, but it's just the best example I've got for four years of my theme on this podcast. Yeah, look, I I don't disagree with any of that, Rog, but I'm curious as to your thoughts on the change, if any, that the supposed influx of private equity money makes to this. Because you you would think, all things being equal that that would necessarily create change in the way things are run. You know, if, if, if you have that kind of money coming in, you would think it would demand that things be run differently. Well, do we want to go there? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hesitating how honest I want to be here because there's a lot of people I like that are around the CVC world. We've mentioned it before. We said maybe six months ago that um, Nick Clary should come on and discuss this. He should have done it then, because if he'd done it then, he probably would have avoided what I'm going to say now. CVC are making bets, investments in sport, on one 
thesis that media rights go up. Their idea that the central revenues and principally the media rights would go up in, in, in rugby has proved in this first right cycle to be completely flawed. They did not, my understanding is this, they did not ask that the monies that they put into all the different forms of rugby go to the right areas. They did not mandate that it flowed to where it needed to flow to and has been stuck in the bureaucracy and the the old fartdom of, of the people I've mentioned before at the, at the federations. Now, that's on CVC. That's on CVC. And this is what I say to Nick Clary. This isn't private equity buying a fucking widgets company. This is sport. And when someone goes wrong in sport, people care. And the leader needs to step up. And whether Nick likes this or not, there is no option as an investor in sport for him to stay in his ranch in Uruguay and say nothing. Not when you've got the strike between uh, Wales and England and not when you've got Worcester and Wasps going bust and every single benefactor that has kept the game afloat for two decades is thinking of pulling the plug. Where Where is he? Where is Nick Clary to make a comment here? Now, the way I look at his investment in rugby, Grant, I know you've got a strong view in private equity these days, is this. What he's put in already, he should mark it to zero. He should mark it to zero. Now, I don't think he'll do that. Uh, but to try and save it, I believe he needs to double down. He needs to put more in, but under the conditions he should have put in the first time about totally burning down that governance at the federation level and start getting the money into the hands of people that are investing in rugby globally at the club level because the future is always at the club level. These guys think the future is international. It's not. We've seen this with the EPL. We've seen it with the English Premiership. You know, International sport is in many ways something that needs to be maintained, but it needs to be put in its right priority. Rugby's got it in a completely wrong priority. So CVC and rugby, I think, have made the mother of all cock-ups because they didn't do their homework. They just think media rights are going up. Our spreadsheets show that if the media rights go up, we'll get a return of about 20% a year. I don't know what they're not what the spreadsheets say, but more or less it says that. Oh, by the way, the leverage and what they're paying in the leverage probably hasn't helped them either, the way it's changed. But then they're doing these deals in Spain and they want to do it in Italy. And, you know, I would say this to Nick Clary. What's that phrase you always use, Grant? Some people make the mistake of confusing a bull market with brilliance. You know, I think Mr. Clary has been living on the idea that the Formula One sell to Liberty makes him think he's brighter than he is. Because what he's done in rugby is really poor. And at the very least, he needs to be stepping up now with the sport in existential danger and say, this is how we are going to take the sport forward. And he's not. He's in Uruguay on his ranch. Yeah, fascinating, Roger. I, yeah, I, I don't, again, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that's a, that's a remarkably honest and incredibly accurate assessment of the situation. You know, I, I, I watched some of the Six Nations over the last few weeks and there were some really good, exciting, close games back and forth. But I, I don't know what it was, but 
something about the game seems to have changed. And it's, it's become it's really rugby league. It just it's felt different to me. It's become yeah, rugby league. That's a good, actually, that's a really good way of describing it. It, it was different. It, it, it just felt like, I don't know, Roger, there was just something about it that, that, that unnerved me. It just didn't seem the same. And, and actually, now you now you say that, that's exactly what it is. It's just run, tackle, run, tackle, run, tackle, turn over, go back the other gra- way. They've even got a graphic that says the sixth, what do they call it, the fifth phase. The sixth yeah. phase. Well, that used to be Eddie Waring's sixth tackle coming up. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah no, you're right, I'm, you're right. I mean, that, that's been there for league. a while. This phase, the phase counting has been there for a while. But you're absolutely right. It, it, that's I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think you're absolutely right. It's it's morphing into rugby league, which I, I don't think is a good idea for it rugby isn't. union at all. It isn't. It isn't. And and I want to be optimistic because I've been consistent on this. I think the game of rugby has got great possibilities in all its different forms, sevens, everything like that. But I'll, I'll tell you now, and we can bookmark this one, see if they don't change this and see when they announce a rugby version of Live. I don't want MD to come and say, oh, greed is good, look at them. Because that's not good enough. You know, the status quo, like it is in football, like it was with golf, like it is with rugby, the status quo isn't working. So somebody coming along with different ideas, you may not like them, but you have relinquished the right to moan because you have been happy watching it in a direction of travel down the plug. Rugby is currently going down the plug. It's misalignment almost everywhere. France a wee bit better. They've got their a wee bit better. New Zealand a wee bit better. But England, the home country, it's Britain, even Australia, not that great, you know, for the reasons I've said. And CBC, who made a big thing about investing all across the sport, where are they? This isn't a widget company. In sport, when the shit hits the fan, you had Ted Croker, you had Jim Farry, the people in charge of the sport, they stand on the steps of Wembley or Hamden and they say, this is what's going to happen. You can't do what Nick Cleary's doing. Don't invest in sport if you're going to go silent when it's difficult. Don't invest in sport. You can get your same leverage return investing in a soap factory. Don't invest in sport. Well, let's hope we can persuade Nick to come on because um, it would be great to have this conversation with him and understand. Because I'm just going, look, I, I don't think for a second they've put that money in there and they're just sitting back and they've forgotten about it. So it'd be really interesting to hear what their thoughts are on their plan. So, Nick, if by any chance you're listening, come on and, and have it out with us. We'd love to talk to you about this. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it, you know, like Oxford uh, University Union way. You know, we won't do it, you know, Glasgow Gallagate pub argument. We'll do it uh, in the right way. If you want, you can do it just with Grant or just with Giles or just with me, one-on-one. But honestly, Nick, you need to come in and answer the motion of the House, which is CVC do not know what they are doing in sport and they got lucky in a bull market with Liberty. You need to come on and debate that, Nick. Well, let's see. Let's see if the, the gauntlet is down. Let's see if uh, let's see if Nick comes and does that. Well, listen, Rog, it's that time. I feel we're forty odd minutes in here. Uh, I'm going to bring up another goal, which is my the mighty whites of Fulham. Now, you did say at first game of the season when I was relieved that we got a point from Liverpool. You said we should have won it, and everything that's uh, that's happened since then has borne you out. It's been absolutely correct. But you know, I watched that game. I was at the Brighton 
reverse fixture at Craven Cottage with my dad back in, I guess, August, September time. We went to we went to the game together. And it was fantastic. We had great seats. We were kind of low down at the pitch. And and two things. One, I said at the time, Matoma had just come into the team. He came on as a substitute in the second half. And I said, this guy is the real deal. He was really, really good. And I've been following him ever since. And he's turned into a phenomenal player, which is, which is great to see. But seeing how good that Brighton team were, it was a much closer game at Craven Cottage. Fulham deserved that win. They were hanging on a bit at the end. They were the 2-1 lead, but they did, they were good value for the win. I've got to be honest, I haven't seen many bigger smash and grabs in all my time watching football as Fulham managed to steal against the head this weekend, Roger. I mean, Brighton were phenomenal. They're a really, really good football yeah, good team. team. The press was great. They dominate us, absolutely dominate us. Now, we defended well. Um, they had two goals disallowed for offside, but they were clear offsides. It wasn't marginal. They were both clearly offside. And apart from that, they, were, they maybe had one or two chances that they should have done better with. So Fulham's defending was good. But for us to get a point from that game would have been good. To steal three points in the 89th minute the way we did was not only an unbelievable slice of good fortune, but also, to your point from that first game of the season, there is something different about this Fulham team that they haven't had in their past forays into the Premier League. You know, we were a fixture in the Premier League for a decade, but always kind of mid-table. We had that one great year when Hodgson got us to finish seventh and we got into Europe and that was a phenomenal journey. But we were always kind of lower mid-table and <laughs> occasionally getting dragged into the relegation scrap. And But there's something different about this team, Rog. There's something different about it. And you know, I know you've called it a winning mentality yeah. in the past to, to me in, in private. But, it, but it's fascinating to see. It's fascinating to see it happen to a club and a team like Fulham, which, you know, they're just a friendly little club. But we've got five more yellow cars than any other team in the division. There's a steal to this side, which is which hasn't been there for a long, long time. And, and you know, it's, it's fun to watch, Rogers, because most of the time they play good, attractive, attacking football. This weekend it was backs to the wall for the whole 90 minutes. We didn't have Mitrovic as an outlet and, and Silva got his tactics right, got his team right. But it's just it's just been a phenomenal thing to watch and to get the rub of the green and score in the 89th minute when we've lost to Arsenal, United, City and Newcastle. We lost all four of those games by a goal scored in the last minute. Yeah. So there's something about this team that's that's different. And I have to say, it may be a very personal goal, but boy, am I enjoying the ride. Well, I mean, people can't see, obviously, listening, but uh, you were smiling all the way through that little soliloquy yeah. there. Uh, Cheshire cat stuff. A couple of points there, I would link it to what you said about Joel Darwin at the start. You know, winning mentality and arrogance is a big part in sport. You won that game against Brighton, probably because people in your team starting to believe that that's what you do. You win games. Yeah. You know, that that's, that's a big thing in sport or anywhere in life or, you know, anything. It's it, Self-confidence is a big thing. And you guys are getting used to winning now and you're forgetting how it is to lose. You know, I, I think your your coach has done great. That that guy you mentioned, the player you mentioned, where did he come from? Matoma. The, what's his oh, Matoma, the Brighton, the yeah, Brighton winger. Yeah. I'm not sure where he came from. But as I say, I, as soon, when I saw him come on six months ago, I said, this guy is... The real deal. He was really fast, just a really good player, and he's he's on fire these last month or so. Yeah. So let's let's have a little you know wider thing, and I put your club in this as well. You know, we've got two examples in the Premiership now. We've got the Chelsea example we commented on last time about spending. I don't know what the number is, hundred twenty million on Enzo. What is it, Fernandez? Um, yeah. 
Now, there is no way, there is no way that the amount of money extra is justified in the abilities of Enzo over even Billy Gilmore that Chelsea had and certainly Jorginho. Just no way. So so that is just craziness, insanity I called it the last time. You guys, uh, Brentford and Brighton, I've got a simple thing. You buy extremely well. You have an excellent coach in a way of uh, uh, playing. And, you know, you keep humble and hungry. And, like, that's got to be the way forward in, fo- in, in football. You know, I, I remember when Potter left Brighton and, you know, Deserby came in and, you know, how much I love Graham Souness. Uh, but, you know, in this one, he, did, he was wrong. He said, who's Deserby? You know, what's he got as a CV to get him justify this job? Everybody that knows football knows Deserby is a world-class coach. And these people are out there. And there's just too many decisions in football uh, on player recruitment, on coach recruitment that is old, old school. And they're throwing money at problems. And, you know, you guys have now got into the the, the category of clubs that are not doing that. And you're sitting in sixth and you're not far that far away from a Champions League place. And you haven't burst the bank, you know. Uh, f- football, uh, I mean, we'll come on to this in a minute with the stuff about Man United and, and Tottenham. But, but football is really, really volatile and polarising now. And your only chance of making it work in Europe is to set your stall out like a Brighton, like a Brentford, such that if you lose your manager like Potter, don't blink an eye. Actually, I'll improve it. I'll get a better coach because the whole infrastructure is not dependent on that coach. If Liverpool lose lose Klopp, they've not got an awful lot to fall back on especially since they've lost a lot of their data guys in the last 12 months. You know, that's that's a story for another day. Uh, but um, you've got to make your club coach independent. He falls under a bus tomorrow morning. You don't lose a beat. That is your main objective in running a football club. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the Champions League there and it's, you know, you have to, smile when you talk about Fulham in the same sense as the Champions League. But what's interesting, Rog, is you look at the odds to get in the Champions League and as someone, I was listening to a Fulham podcast the other day and the guys were saying, look, I don't think we're going to get the Champions League, but if you're having the conversation... The it was actually on the table, guys. No, but, exactly, no, no, but no, he, said, like, he said, I don't think we're going to get in the Champions League, but if you're, having, if you're writing an article about it now and you don't include Fulham in the conversation... It's wrong. And you and That's I right. went and looked at the That's odds. Right. That's right. Right? Liverpool, Chelsea are like six, seven, eight points behind yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea are twenty five yeah. to one to get in the Champions League. Yeah. Fulham are eighty. Fulham are eighty to one to get in the Champions That's League. That's good value. That's a value bet. Great value. That's a, right? that's a good value yeah, that's bet. That's what I thought. Liverpool yeah. Liverpool are, you know, sixteen. 18. No, 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 actually Liverpool are like sixes to get into a Champions League spot. That's, that's uh Chelsea bad, are like twenty two and Fulham are eighty to one. Yeah. Oh no, it's, it's very it's very interesting how yeah how people how people look at that. But yeah, you know, like uh, but you know, coming on to as I was saying, coming on to United and this this is the thing that I think we've been talking about a long time. You know, yeah, I've been, it, I've, been, I've been waiting for it. I had this one too. I had this one too. No, well, and, it's, and, it's, I, and I and I and I don't know if it's a goal or an own goal. It depends which way it goes. But I've got some. Well, well, it depends what it. your perspective is. Surely the direction of travel is now clear that as everybody else who deploys capital for a return is put off by football because there's no control of wages and costs and Enzo Fernandez type stuff, 
that only leaves the people that have got capital that is insensitive to return, which means the nation states, which means yeah. the, pet- the petrodollar, the gas dollar, whatever you want to call it. Now, that's always been clear for me for a while. What I've watched from afar with interest in the context of the whaling and gnashing of teeth at the Super League a year, two years ago, was how were they going to react when the top X teams in England are owned by various nation states in the GCC? How were they going to react to that? Then, because here's how it goes, the evidence is already here, you start playing cup finals in Jeddah or, or in Neom or, or, or in one of these other cities that they're building out there. You know, the, the Serie A have done that, the Spanish have done it, Infantino's taking a club competition final there, brackets in the same day that um, they put out this really virtue signalling tweet about sympathising with a player that came out as gay. And then without a breath, yep. without, without even seeing the irony, they, they announced Saudi the next day. Now, I, you know, Grant, I, I, I am very sanguine about how the world works. And I personally don't have any real issues with uh, money uh, coming in. Uh, um, but I don't think the body football, the football family in England is ready for its top competing teams all to be owned by by Arabs. I'm not sure they're ready for that. Well, it's interesting, Roger, because this to me is the absolute litmus test of everything that you've been speaking about around this subject for the longest time. Because here you have arguably the biggest club in the world, Real Madrid and Barcelona might want to oh, stick a dog it's in that United. fight, but I, I think it's United. Um, you've got the biggest club in the world up for sale by owners who are hated by the true fans of the club, right? And they're, and they're hated um, by the true fans of the club because they're not United people and they, and they don't look at United. So you've got two, essentially two billion. I know Elliot have come in with an offer to loan the Glazers money, which I found interesting if they decide they're to stay. Just, they're just a smart lender. Yeah. Smart yeah, lender. Exactly right. <laughs> but, let, but let's cut it down to the Middle Eastern money and Jim Ratcliffe, right? Now, this is, when I re- was reading through this, Rog, this is, this is your point in a nutshell, put on a plate for everyone to look at. Because if United fans, any real United fan, there's only one person you want owning this club, and that's Jim Ratcliffe. You want a proper United fan, a boyhood fan of the club, who's now worth six, seven, eight billion dollars thanks to Ineos, right? You want him owning the club because you know he's a true fan. And all the time you've railed against the Glazers. They're not true fans of the club. They're not putting the club first. Along comes the Saudi money that says we will make the club debt-free. Qatar, Qatar. Qatar, yeah. Sorry, Qatar, bigger pardon, yeah. We'll make the club debt-free. Now, what do you want to do? You're a United fan, right? You're a United fan and you've railed against the Glazers. Do you want the club in the hands of a true fan of the club, Right? A true steward of the club, as we spoke to uh, Gary Sweet about Luton and the way that they well think about being... Yeah, well remembered, yeah. Right? Being, being a steward of the club for the next generation. Or <laughs> do you want an open checkbook, no debt, and to be able to pay up for Enzo Fernandez next time he comes along? I think we all know where this is going to go, yeah, right? Yeah. I think we all know. And it, and it just lays bare the hypocrisy that you've railed against right the way through this conversation for the last, I don't know how many years. Yeah, well, that's that. I don't think that's a surprise anymore. Um, and I'm not sure that 
I'm um, not bothered about that. You, you know my view about fans. It's a it's a feature, not a bug. I, I my soul is at peace with that, and it has been since. 25 years ago when, you know, I, I, I was faced with fans in the first person when I was running the Scottish League. Uh, that's no surprise on that, and I'm not even going to necessarily go there. Um, every fan of a club that is lucky enough to end up being owned by uh, Kuwait, Qatar, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Saudi, uh, throw in even Bahrain, you know, and ultimately one day maybe even the Kazakhstans once they get their oil industry up and running, um, they, they, they're not going to be bothered. Um, but what I'm saying is not every club in the English Premier League is going to find an owner like that. And I ask myself, in the context of already talking about a government regulator, um, how where is the tipping point? Is it five clubs? Is it six? Before somebody says this isn't on, this no well, right. it, or is it? Or is it the Man City situation? Right? Is that the tipping point where they, whatever for whatever reason, decide they're going to slam the hammer down on Man City to discourage the kind of stuff that they're alleging these sovereign wealth funds are doing because they don't care about the money; they're just throwing money everywhere slapping Man City may be a way to kind of make these guys think a little a little more about how they how they come in and how they throw their money around. Well, maybe, maybe sure, you have to get the costs under control there. But the bigger issue, I think, Grant, is, you know, uh, the, the, the absurdity that they're trying to claim that this Qatar bidder for Man United is different from the people that own PSG. I mean, like... Qatar as itself is is smaller than fucking Paisley, right? It's smaller than Paisley, <laughs> right? Now, Paisley's only got one football team, you know? So you're trying to tell me that there's enough people that it's a different ownership. So we've already got the first rumblings about multi-club uh, strategies coming under attack. I'm telling you, man, this is the perfect storm. And what we don't know is how all the different players end up uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type thinking you know because Man City if they get hammered by the Premiership they may just make a call back to Florentino and to Barcelona and Agnelli and say tell you what let's do it now and uh, we'll get we'll get we'll get that guy at PSG you know I know he likes to play both sides of the table we'll tell him where his bread's buttered and and remember Qatar doesn't count anything you know Saudi's where the big money is and all that and they've got Newcastle so, so what I'm saying is this can't hold together, Grant. Whatever way you you look at it, whether it's a government regulator saying that the big clubs are just getting too big, whether it's financial fair play, somebody trying to get a handle on that, whether it's multi-club ownership, you know, this structure is... And it was never going to hold together. That's why all this backslapping two years ago about the defeat of the Super League was so, so short-sighted. The best way to do this is for people of good heart that love the game, the Richard Scudamore's of this world, but he's not the only one, there's a lot of them, that basically say, how do we structure this that in some way is stable, in some way is fair? And that's what I wrote last week. You know, the NFL is big money, but it's stable and it's fair. You know, it's a closed league, but it's like what you say about, you know, your current account deficit and your your currency and your interest rates. You can't have all three. You know what I'm saying, yeah. Grant? It's the same in sport. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. It's going to be really interesting. I'm watching this Man United thing with with great interest, Roger, because I think this is going to be a real litmus test for for how this stuff goes from here and and the Man City thing as well. But I suspect the Man City thing is going to drag on for two or three years before we get anything definitive out of that. And even then it'll be appealed no matter what way it goes, so we'll see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. We've got a few minutes left. Have you, have you got any others for me? I've got, one, I've got one other thing that I mentioned, I think, once before, but it's getting quite funny now. What, one of the other symptoms of the way football is going is that some versions of football, some countries in football are so marginalised now that they're getting their jollies, you know, beyond the football itself. I'm talking about Scotland. Scottish football is becoming very political. Um, no, surely not. Yeah, but no, not in the old way about United Ireland or not United Ireland. They've now got a view on Palestine. They've got a view on, you know, everything. And anyway, um, at the end of the day, it's still football fans, you know, uh, even if they're educated. So they're not going to go for the intellectual fancy line. And of course, you do have the thing set up to be very funny because the leader of the Scottish Conservative Party, guess what? He's a linesman. He's a linesman. And Grant, he's a linesman that's that's running the line for big games, including Celtic. So he was running the Celtic... <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it was on the Celtic line the other day, and of course, um, that part of the Celtic ground, it's called the Green Brigade, it's that far corner there. Very political, very, very aggressive, um, actually quite smart. Uh, you know, a lot of them are, you know, students of communism and, and like, and, and everything right. like that. Anyway, but, you know, they weren't going to go down that line, they just put a banner out. Uh, the guy's name is Douglas Ross. Douglas Ross is a cunt. That was, that was that was the banner, <laughs> and of course the broadcaster had to make an apology for anybody watching. We are sorry that if anybody's been offended, and of course, um, in the one-upmanship that is now Scottish football, Rangers are not going to be outdone when um, Fan Dabidozi <laughs> when Fan Dabidozi resigns. Uh, so they put out a banner this week: uh, years of lies and corruption, Nicola. Most drug deaths in Europe. The NHS crippled, but the union is maintained. So thanks, Nicola. You know, the Rangers fan are unionists. You know, they believe in the United yeah. UK. And so um, politics uh, at the forefront in Scottish football. I don't know what the scores were in those games, but the banners are where the, the news cycle is. <laughs> Fantastic stuff. Well, mate, we've, uh, we've, we've come in right on the hour, by my, right on uh, the hour. By my reckoning. So, very, very uh, good. It's flown very by good. once again. Uh, awful lot of fun. Thank you for, for doing this on a Sunday evening for you. In, uh, well, actually, no, what the hell day is it? It's not Sunday anymore. It's Tuesday. It's, 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 no, it's Monday, Grant. It's Monday. There you it's go. Monday. Monday. Christ Almighty. Yeah, 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 it shows you how wrapped up I've been. Yeah. Well, listen, my thanks to you, Rog. Uh, thanks, as always, to you for listening out there. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Goal on Goal. Um, if you don't follow us on Twitter, please do so. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word A R E. You'll find me at TTMYGH. And you'll find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Roger, my friend, always fun talking to you. I'll very see much, you again very soon. Very much. Take care. Safe travels. Bye-bye.